this sermon series called The Names of God. And, and I want to be clear that these different names are not uh, names of different gods, but that these are names given to the one God, right, that we follow and we serve. And, um, and, uh, and there are different, uh, in many instances, there are ways that people engaged with God or connected with God in a certain way. Uh, and so then uh, they would name God this because he had shown up or he had uh, done something for them in a certain particular way. And so these were, these were personal ways that these people interacted with God, uh, but then they also opened them up and give us access to see God and to understand God and to connect with God and to approach God in a different way. And so uh, that's what we're, uh, what we're looking at this week. And, um, and, uh, and the names are important, right, because names matter, right? Our names matter. And uh, we were uh, recently, uh, and oh, Maria and I, just my wife and I had a son. We have a, a nine-month-old son, Sebastián. Uh, Sebastián Fernando, Avila Castroman. And uh, kindergarten's going to be hard for him, but it's going to be great for us. Uh, and finding, like, the name for our kid. If you have a kid and you, like, had to go through the process of, of, of coming up with a name, I'll give this little tip to uh, the new parents in the room and those who will one day have uh, another child. Um, and uh, uh, we you don't ever tell anybody the names that you're thinking about, right? Just just keep it in the house. Don't even tell anybody, right? Just that's between you and your partner. Like, that's just you guys, right? You don't need to be spreading that out. My sister was like, I think I want to name my son Caleb. And Maria and I were like, oh, that's what we were going to name our firstborn son. And she's like, oh, okay, well, maybe I could change it. I really liked it. But we're like, Sara, go ahead and, you know, name it. You know, and then she had her boy and named him something else. And then, you know, 14 years later, we had our kid. So... <laughs> And didn't even name him that. So, you know, like, but that's the, the thing, right? And then you're, or you're like, oh, we're thinking our, we're going to call our name, you know, our daughter Amanda. It's like, oh, don't call her Amanda. I had this friend in high school named Amanda. She was the worst. And then you're like, forever Amanda is like this terrible person. No one here's named Amanda, right? I tried to pick a name. I don't know. Right? So we wanted a name for Sebastian that would work both in English and in Spanish and that it would be spelled the same in English and in Spanish so that at home we could just, you know, call him Sebastian and, and at school they can call him Sebastian and it'll be fine. He won't be confused as to like having to change the spelling of his name or anything like that, right? Uh, and um, for Madga, so, so my name means uh, man of honor because, yeah, all right, come on, yeah. And I try really hard to live up to that name. And uh, my wife uh, was named, actually it was kind of an interesting a uh, special moment for them. Um, her parents had her, and they wanted to call her uh, Alexandra. And uh, and they, so they, that was the name they were planning. When they get to the hospital, they had, you know, Marga. And, and then there were, like, five Alexandras in the hospital, like, at the time, right? Everyone was naming their daughter Alexandra. So she's like, oh, maybe not. So then they didn't know what to call her. And so for, for a couple of weeks, she just didn't have a name. Uh, and she had to stay in the hospital. She had some things going on. And uh, when they finally were able to bring her home, uh, her parents lived in the countryside, and uh, there was this beautiful hill right by their house. And when they drove by the hill, when they got to the hill, uh, the whole hill had just 
bloomed with these daisy flowers. And in Spanish, the word for for uh, Daisy is Margarita. And so they named her Margarita because the whole mountainside had like bloomed to welcome her home. And so uh, it was kind of a special, uh, special thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, so nothing bloomed when Sebastian was born. Uh, <laughs> Butch just kind of came and picked us up in the hospital. It was just kind of like less. Uh, <laughs> It was a little late. We had already picked the names, you know. So, but uh, <laughs> this morning, I want to. Uh, Wendy shared a few weeks ago uh, of some of the names of God in the Bible, and I wanted to. Um, there are seven names uh, in uh, the Hebrew text uh, for the names of God, and I wanted to just. So she talked about uh, Jehovah or or uh, or Yahweh, which is. Um, the main name of God, and this name appears over 6,800 times in the Old Testament, right? And it's the, it's the, when you look at the Bible, when you read in English, and you see the name Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that is, that is these four letters, um, Y-H-W-H. And, and uh, this super small, like, <laughs> name, right, the, the, in, in seminary or in, like, scholarly works, it's called the Tetragrammaton. Right, which is like, let's get the smallest name and give it the biggest like definition, right? Um, and so this, uh, but here's what's interesting. Okay, so um, the reason we say Jehovah, they would uh, in um, in Jewish faith uh, and culture, in Hebrew culture, you can't pronounce the name, or you shouldn't. It's holy, and it must be protected, right? Which I think is a beautiful thing. And, um, and so what they would do is they would have these other words that would, would replace it, like Adonai or Elohim, right, or Hashem. And Hashem literally means the name. So, like, there's many names, but this is the name, the name, right, Hashem. And uh, so uh, what happened was they would take the word Adonai, and many times they would write it above the, the four letters of the name of God. And so... Over time, uh, the Hebrew language doesn't have vowels. And so what they do is it's just consonant letters, and they have these certain markings or points that will help you to know what vowel sound goes in between the consonants. And that's how you know how to pronounce certain words. And so what they did was they took the uh, vowel points of Adonai, which means my Lord, and they, and they, uh, they kind of just brought them down to... Uh, the Tetragrammatron, and it sounds like a transformer, but it's the name of God, right? The, 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 and, and so what they did was they used the vowel sounds of Adonai and Elohim, and they put them together over, uh, um, over those four letters. And so that's where we get the pronunciation of Jehovah. Uh, so that's just a little fun fact for us uh, so that we know uh, kind of where that comes from. Uh, in the Bible, there's also... Um, so that's one. Uh, a couple more is uh, L. So in um, in the Hebrew language, there's n- there's a few places where uh, God's name is L, and uh, but most often it is used in um, and the word is theophoric, and, and that is to put <laughs> what and that's to put uh, when you put the name of God into you insert it into another name. Okay, so for example, Gabriel means the strength of God. Right? Michael, Michael, means who is like God. Raphael, God's medicine. 
uh, Ariel, God's lion. Um, Daniel, God's judgment. Israel, one who struggles with God. Uh, Ishmael, God hears or God listens. Uh, and Emmanuel, God with us, right? And so that is the kind of the use of El. We also have Elohim, and, and Wendy talked about that. Um, El Shaddai, which is, uh, means uh, God Almighty. And I'll talk about El Shaddai in, in two weeks. Uh, but that it's one of the names uh, of God there. And um, I'm going to get the pronouncing wrong. I, I, I practice all week long to make sure I could say this, because I don't speak Hebrew, but it's Sevaot, which means the armies, and this is the God of the armies of Israel, so God was, was viewed in that way, um, and uh, yeah, so those are uh, three more, there's one more, uh, which is Jah, and so in the Bible, there in, in um, Psalms, it appears 24 times the name of God as Jah, and again, it is also uh, inserted into uh, other names, uh, like, for example, Hallelujah. Jah, which means to praise God, okay? And so that's where, so the name of God is embedded in that word, and, and that's, uh, that's kind of where that, uh, that comes from. So there's your uh, Sunday school lesson for the day. Uh, you guys can, uh, there will be a quiz at the end of the service, so just remember to make sure you get all of those uh, in correct order, and, and uh, spelling is really important also. <laughs> but uh, Wendy talked about... Um, uh, Jehovah Rohi, which is the Lord, my shepherd. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want is a, a psalm that we all love and, and hold on to. Uh, Elohai Mishpat, which is the Lord is my justice. We talked about that in this, this view of justice that, that is not just how God produces justice for us, but how ju God uh, is creating justice in our world and he's using us to then uh, bring shalom, to bring peace and justice uh, for those in our community and around us, right? And uh, today we're going to talk about Jehovah Jireh. <clears throat> now, have, has anybody ever heard this name before, Jehovah Jireh? Just put your hand up. Yeah, so this is one of the more common names of God, Jehovah Jireh. When I was growing up, my mom had these tapes, and it was this like Hosanna praise tapes, right? And my mom loved these tapes, and they were like these choruses, and uh, they had kind of like this Jewish kind of sound to them. And uh, I remember there was one song that my mom played all the time, and it was Jehovah Jireh. And it was like, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking you guys back. Thank you. Thank you for singing that with me. Yeah. And like every time they'd play it, I'd be like dancing around the house. <laughs> Sorry. Which... Which, now that I think about it, is probably really bad, like, cultural appropriation and stuff. I'm looking for my wife for, like, confirmation. Ah, it's okay. We're safe. Okay. <laughs> she gave me the okay. We're okay. We're good. We're good. We're good. So, uh, but it was, like, a great song. It was, like, really fun. It was, like, upbeat whenever we played at church. And I used to drum, and I'd always try to, like, give it, like, a little, like, like a ska punkish beat to it. Like, doo -doo -doo. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It never took off. But anyways, so Jehovah Jireh is, uh, is the name that we're going to talk about today, right? And, um, and here's what's interesting is Jehovah Jireh is actually biblically uh, not a name of God. It was a name given to a place. And this is going to be significant. And I'll talk a little bit about what this looks like. And, but um, this place is going to become... One of the most significant places in the Bible, uh, one of the most significant places of worship 
this place is going to transform history forever for you and for me, Western cultures, European cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, right? This is going to be one of the most significant, thought-out places uh, in all the world, and I would, and arguably the most holy place on earth is, is this, this place right here that we're going to talk about, um, and I'll, I'll kind of elaborate as we go, okay? So you guys with me? All right, so <clears throat> good, like, set up, right? We're ready. Uh, so, um, so this, we find this story in Genesis chapter 22, and we find our, uh, the, the, the main subjects of this story are going to be Abraham, Isaac, and God. And uh, so what's going on? Who is Abraham? What's been going on until this moment? Abraham uh, was a regular dude, and uh, God called him out of his people and his tribe in the land of Uz, he said, I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your father's house and go to the place that I'm going to tell you. And so Abraham oh, uh, believed in God and left. And so he was 75 at the time, and he took his family and all he put his possessions, and he set out for this land that God was going to show him. And there's some many adventures of Abraham, and Abraham is the founding father of uh, both the Jewish faith and our faith. And so um, he goes off, and there's some shady business that happens with his wife, Sarah, um, and uh, there's some uh, kind of iffy stories there, but then there's also these moments of great victory, and he's and he's blessed, and he grows, and it's this incredible uh, story, right? And um, and Wendy has shared a little bit about um, uh, about Hagar, and Hagar was the maidservant of Sarah, uh, uh, Abraham's wife, and one of the things that God promised Abraham was, "I'm going to give you a son," and through this son. His name is going to be Isaac, and through Isaac, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you this holy nation and this powerful nation. And he, and he takes Abraham out, and he shows him the sand of the desert and says, your descendants are going to be like, like the sand of the, of the desert. You, and he shows him the stars. Your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. But years pass, and Abraham doesn't see the promise happening, and so he gets kind of antsy, and him and his wife try to figure this out. And they do a little shady business with this woman named Hagar, who was going to become then the surrogate to carry their son. And, uh, and uh, Hagar runs away from uh, her, her mistress, uh, from Sarah, and the Lord sees her. He finds her, and he sees her, and, and Hagar names him the Lord who sees, right? The Lord who sees me. Uh, and so then a couple of chapters later, Abraham has the baby they have with Sarah, the child of promise, Isaac. It's this huge celebration. God has fulfilled his promise. This is about, this is about 25 years after he left from his father's house. So it was a long time. It, waiting for the Lord can be really hard sometimes, right? And so uh, Abraham's son, Isaac, is, uh, is older. He's, uh, he's probably like maybe close to 12 years old. And this is what happens. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and this is Genesis chapter 22. And, and, and God spoke to him and said, Abraham. And Abraham says, here am I. Uh, and then God said to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to, on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So this is a little heavy, right? We're, 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 we're like, wait a minute. God is telling you to go sacrifice your son? Like, that's a little weird. Why would God do that? That's a little, like, evil and terrible. Why would God 
uh, do this. And, and it, pauses, it gives us a moment to like pause and think. And allow me to help us understand a little bit of what's going on in the times, right? Because God certainly wouldn't ask that of one of us today. But in this moment, in this time in history, and this is going to be important, um, this was very common practice. This was a normal part of worshiping the deities of your culture and your time. And many of the Canaanite uh, deities, and, and, uh, and Canaan was the land that God had promised to Abraham that he would live in. Many of the gods in that area would demand human sacrifices. And, and to sacrifice your son uh, was part of kind of showing your devotion to, um, to this God. And which just really gives us icky feelings right now. But this was part of, of the, this was a very normal part. And so for Abraham to hear God say this, it wasn't like out of character. It wasn't like weird. It was just like, oh, okay, I guess we're going that way, right? And so um, Abraham uh, obeys, and, and the Bible says early the next morning, he sets out with his son, he grabs some of his servants and a donkey, and they, they take, he takes a, a knife, and he takes uh, some fire, and he takes some firewood, and they go out to find this mountain. And uh, the Bible tells us that on their way there, uh, they're going and they're traveling, and, and uh, Abraham sees the place, and the Lord kind of reveals to him that this is going to be the place. So he leaves his servants there, and he takes the wood off of his donkey. He places the wood on his son's shoulders. And his son carries the wood for the altar up the hill towards where they're going to go and where he's going to sacrifice. And on their way, um, Isaac asks his father, he says, Father, we have the fire, we have the wood, where is the lamb? And Abraham says, my son, the Lord will provide. And, and that's enough for Isaac. And they go up to the mountain, and they go to this place, and there Abraham creates an altar with stones, and then he arranges the wood. And I can't imagine what must be going on in Abraham's heart and mind. Um, and I think about my own son and what that would cost me to sacrifice him. And, uh, and uh, he takes his son and he binds him, and he lays him down on the altar. And as he takes the knife out to sacrifice his one and only son, whom he loved, who was the son of the promise, God calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not harm your son. Do not do anything to him. And, uh, and as the story continues, then Abraham's eyes are open and he sees behind him there's a, a ram who's caught in this thicket of thorns with, uh, by his horns. And he goes over and he grabs the ram, and, and the, the ram becomes the substitute for Isaac. And Isaac is spared and given back from, from death to life. And, uh, and they sacrifice. And so on that place, the Bible says, in that place, and I'll read it um, in verse 14 of that chapter. So Abraham called that place the Lord, and capital L, the the, there it is, Jehovah, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And so this is where that name Jehovah Jireh it, it comes from. But it's not given to God, it's given to this place. On this place, the Lord will provide. Now, 
we're still kind of feeling a little, little rough, right? There's still a little, like, some, some sauciness and some, some saltiness about what would be happening here and what is, uh, what is um, going on in this, um, in this place, right? And, uh, and afterwards, the Lord promises and he reinstates the promise for Abraham that, that I will make you, I will bless you through your son Isaac. Uh, and, um, and he says, um, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and I have not, and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make you a descendant as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Uh, and so there's the, 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 the promise then continues the confirmation of what God has promised to, um, to Abraham. Uh, and here's, some of the, here's one of the things that I want to point out, though, right, how the beauty of this space, right, because the promise is then on this mountain, God will provide. In this place, right on the mountain, it, um, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, right? And uh, the root word of Jireh is to see, to see. And so it's it comes back to kind of Hagar's situation where it is the God who sees, uh, but it takes it a step farther because not only is God the God who sees, but He in seeing He also will provide. And it is said that on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, right? Uh, the Lord will provide it. And here's what's different about Elohim. Here's what's different about Adonai. Here's what's different about Hashem, about Jehovah, is that though all the other uh, beliefs and all the other deities were going to demand the sacrifice of your children, in this place, God showed himself that he was going to be different from all the other gods of this land, that he was going to be different than all other faiths, that God himself was going to provide, that Yahweh is going to be the one who's going to provide the sacrifice. And so later on, 400 years later, the people of Israel are become captives. They are enslaved in the land of Egypt. Long story. But long story short, after uh, much convincing, uh, they are uh, released from slavery. And God demonstrates this incredible power to bring his people out of Egypt. And, they, and then they, they're traveling through the desert. And God provides so much for them there and, uh, and provides the law. And they, they receive what's called a tabernacle, and in the tabernacle, this is where the physical presence of God is going to, uh, to rest, right? And they carry this tabernacle around through the desert, and, they, and, and then they finally, they arrive in the land, and they conquer the land, and the land is good, and then in that place, um, uh, 400 years later, David would, um, David would want to create a temple for the Lord. And he wanted to create this place. And, and often in the scripture, it, it talks about a place for the name of God. A house for the name of God. Right? Uh, and the temple, uh, God says, no, you're not going to build a temple for me. And, uh, but your son will. And so Solomon later on builds uh, a temple for the Lord. And in... Uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1, it says this, Solomon builds a temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. 
where the Lord had appeared to his father, David, the threshing floor of Arunah. So, uh, what is, so, uh, Solomon then builds, I had to like reset, right? So, Solomon builds the temple for the Lord on the Mount of Moriah, and it is believed, it is widely, commonly believed that this is the very spot where Abraham was to sacrifice his son and where the Lord provided. And so they built this, this incredible temple, and in that temple, in that space, was where they would worship, and the presence of God was present there in, amongst the people. But to receive the provision of the Lord, you had to go to this place. And in this place, there was, uh, in the temple, there was what's called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was this altar. And on that altar, they would sacrifice a lamb every year for the sins of all the people. And this lamb would substitute the sins committed by, all, by the, the people of Israel that year, right? And they would sacrifice this lamb, and this lamb would become a substitute for, uh, for the people and would receive the punishment of the sin so that there could be forgiveness of sin and communion with God, right? So Abraham, the place God will provide, right? That place becomes then the place where David puts an, builds an altar for God. That is, becomes the place where Solomon builds the temple for God. This is the place where substitution happens, where the lamb, a lamb is sacrificed in our place so that there can be forgiveness of sin. And then uh, hundreds of years later, Jesus, when he's walking through Jerusalem, looks at this temple and says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it back up again. Jesus is saying, not talking about the physical temple, he's talking about himself. He says that if you destroy this body in three days, I will bring it back. And what Jesus is saying here is this place, this is the place where provision was provided by God. And you had to arrive at this place and the provision of forgiveness of sin, the provision of salvation was in this place. And Jesus is now saying, I am this place. And not only that, but uh, John the Baptist would say, when he first saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of his people. Because Jesus would not only eventually become the place itself, but Jesus would become the sacrifice, the Lamb. See, God was never going to ask us to do something that he was not willing to do for us first. And when God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, the son of the promise, what he's really doing is he's foreshadowing what he himself is going to do, that he himself is going to provide his own son, himself, Jesus, and that Jesus was not only going to become the place of provision, he was also going to become the sacrifice for us in that place. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, would lay down his life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That place of provision has become Jesus. 
And so now Jesus is the place that we go to for that provision, but he is also the provision himself. For me, this is just like, wow. The depths of God's love for us. And the beauty of that is that this place is now no longer just one place. And, uh, and that place was uh, and is Jerusalem, right, uh, where the temple was and the Wailing Wall now is and the, the mosque, the Dome of the Rock is. Uh, and so this is the, one of the holiest places on earth for uh, Christians, for Muslims, and for Jews, right? But we know that Jesus is that place. Jesus is that mountain of provision for us. And so what, what does God provide for us in this mountain in Christ? What is the provision that we have for, uh, through him? And throughout scripture, there's so much of what God describes uh, as the provision, right? And sometimes, you know, like when I think of Jehovah Jireh, the first thing that comes to my mind of what God provides is, uh, is parking spaces at 12 o'clock at night, you know? And if you've ever been driving your car at 12 o'clock at night and you get a parking space, my God, what's up, boy, on my knees, you know, the song comes back because you're just excited, right? It's like amazing, Right? And in uh, Puerto Rico, that would translate to, like, Plaza Las Americas, where we're always looking for a parking space in the biggest mall in the Caribbean, right? But, um, right? But, like, it's got to go way beyond God only providing parking spaces, right? Because if that's all God is good for, I mean, I need, I need a stronger Jesus, right? Let's go back to that, right? Um, but just some of the things that God has provided throughout Scripture and how he provides for his people, right? He provided substance, which was a huge part of this, right? And for us, maybe this one isn't as big of a deal because we live in America, the land of plenty, right? And uh, whenever you, if you don't finish your food, your mom's like, well, you've got to finish your food because there's starving children in Africa. And I was like, well, mom, send the food to them. I don't care, right? But, um, you know, <laughs> sorry. Um <laughs> If you have kids, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but this was given to a, a culture which spent uh, so much part of their day just in the preparation of their daily meal and just in preparation of the substance that they would have to eat for that day, right? This is a huge deal. And there's all kinds of examples of how God would provide. When the people of Israel were walking through the desert, right, they didn't have food, and God would provide manna and quail. So manna was this bread that would just appear in the morning, they would go to sleep and wake up, and the dew would turn into this bread, these flakes. And they would mass it together and turn it into bread. God provided miraculously. These uh, uh, flocks of quail would fly into, uh, into the camp of, uh, of Israel, and they would catch all this food. And they would have meat, and they would have bread. Uh, there's another example in, in Kings, Elijah, one of the prophets, right? And God said to him, I want you to go into the desert, and I will provide for you this brook. And you're going to drink from the brook, and the ravens are going to provide food for you. And this is in 1 Kings 17. And so every morning, ravens would, uh, would arrive, and they would bring Elijah bread and meat. And they would bring him in the morning, and they would bring him in the night. They'd bring all this food to him, right? And he's living out in this in this desert, in this in this cave, uh, doing what God had called him to do. And God provided out of nothing; He provided substance. And if you look at what Jesus' own words in Matthew twenty six. Uh, Matthew 6, he says, do not worry about tomorrow, what you will eat or what you will drink. The Lord knows what you need, and he will provide it, right? Because our Heavenly Father provides for us. 
There's this other moment where, where uh, Jesus is saying, How, which of you fathers, if your children ask you for bread, will you give them a snake, right? Which is like, I can't imagine doing that, right? Um, but he's saying, like, you who are evil, you guys are just people. How are you going to, you're going to, you're not going to do that. How will your heavenly father not also take care of you in what you need? Um, uh, he provides substance. Uh, he provides protection. Right? There's many different instances where God protects his people, the, the Israelites wandering through the deserts. The, the Egyptians were about to come after them, and we're going we're gonna to kill them. They were caught between the Egyptian army and, the, and the, uh, the Red Sea. And the Lord says to them, do not fear. And Moses speaks to the people, and he says this. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And watch how God fights for you. And then God miraculously opens up the Red Sea, and the people are able to walk through this. Right? God provided protection for them. I mean, in my own life, I've heard God speak to me very clearly on a, a, a couple of occasions. The one place I've heard God speak to me the most clearly in my life, I bought a taser. And, uh, and I thought, this is going to be really cool, right? I work with high school kids. I can zap kids. It'll be awesome, right? So a friend of mine, he moved to Puerto Rico, and he bought this taser. And, and he's like, you want one? I'm like, yeah, I want one. So he bought, he bought me one, and, and I gave him money, whatever. And I'm like, I'm like sitting there in my living room playing with this thing. I'm like, Gee. I'm like, oh, wow, this is awesome, right? And I'm like, in case, you know, I'll keep it in my backpack. If someone, like, messes with me, yeah, you know, you're going to get tased. And, uh, and I remember playing with it and just kind of holding it. And I, you know, I didn't hear the audible voice of God, like, Alberto. You know, but it was like I heard in my spirit God speak to me very, very clearly. He said, do you want to protect yourself or do you want me to continue protecting you? Get rid of the taser. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want it anymore. And that very night, that very night, someone followed Monica home in, her, in, in their car. And the Lord protected her and watched over her and kept her safe. And it was like this, like, whoa. The next day, it was gone, right? Like, God provided protection, right, for his people. Not only that, but God provides family. Uh, in uh, Psalm 68, listen to this. It says, he, the Lord, Jehovah, sets the lonely in families. And it can also be translated, the desolate in a homeland. And, I, and for any of you who are living far from your family or from your home, you know, I, 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 my home is still Puerto Rico, and I feel it every day, the loss. And now we say, my family, I feel it. Like, man, he's going to grow up away from, from our homeland. We're, we're, we're not in our homeland. But God has provided for us. He puts the lonely in a family. And this community, you guys have been a huge part of that provision of God for us, for Maria and I. And I hope that it's been a, a, a family for you. Uh, and if you're feeling lonely, this is part of God's provision for you uh, to have a family that loves you and supports you and cares for you and watches over you and creates that homeland, that place for you, right? He provides rain. Uh, in, in the scripture, uh, it, rain was such a huge part of God's provision because they, uh, Israel was not like Egypt or many other countries that had these giant rivers that provided for all that they needed. Is, uh, in Egypt, uh, the Nile was viewed as a god because everything they needed came from the river, right? Israel does not have a river like that. They have the Jordan River. It's not that impressive. I've been there, right? I saw it. I'm like, this is the Jordan? Meh, right? Um, <laughs> 
but they, you know, it's, it's there, and there's some parts that are bigger than others, right? But, but they required, they lived off of rain, and if it did not rain, they did not have uh, water for their crops, and so God provided for them rain, and in so many places in scripture, it was like the Lord will provide rain. He, he showers rain. He causes the sun to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous, right? He, um, maybe a little bit more for us today, he provides the will, right? Not only the, uh, the ability to do something, he gives you, he will provide even the will to do it, right? Uh, Philippians 2. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purposes, right? If, you need, if you're like struggling with, with faith or you're struggling with, with doing what you know God is calling you to do, guess what? Not only is he calling you to do that, but he is going to provide you the will to be able to do that. And so go to the mountain because on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. What is that it? If you need the will, that, then the will will be provided. If you need wisdom, he says in James, anyone who lacks wisdom, he should ask. Because God gives generously. What do I do in this situation? Where do I go? God is saying, ask me. Come to the mountain. Come to the source. Come to the place. Because on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And that mountain is Jesus. Comfort. Are you going through a loss? Are you going through trouble? Are you going through a difficult situation in life? And you need comfort? Corinthians, right, says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of our compassion. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we have received. Because the abundance of what God has given to us is not just for us, but also so that we can then give to others and help others and comfort others. Right? In everything. The, the last verse I'm going to share with you uh, is Second Peter uh, 1. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through the knowledge of him who's, who uh, called us by his own glory and goodness. What do you need? Everything that we need for life to follow God, to live life in godliness has been given to us. Are we coming to the mountain? Are we coming to the mountain, to the source, Jesus, to get the things that we need in our time of trouble? in a time of need, in a time of provision. All right, so I sold you uh, the, the Jehovah Jireh per, uh, 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 Perks uh, Plus program, right? How do we sign up, right? How do I sign up? Do I got to get a card? Do I got to get my visa? Like, do I, how do I sign up for the Jehovah Jireh Perks Plus like, program, right? What, is that, what does that look like, right? I'm in, you know, what do I, what do, I do? When I was a kid, I would you'd look at the Sears catalog, and I'd be like, you know, I, I used to believe that if I prayed, God would just provide everything I needed for Christmas, right? So I just look through the catalog, and I'd be like, I want this Jesus, and I want this Jesus, and I want this Jesus, and I want two of these Jesus, and I want three of these Jesus, and I want this, but I don't want it in that color. I want it in this color, right? And that was, like, my thought of, like, how God is provided. It doesn't necessarily work like that, okay? It doesn't mean that you just kind of go to the mountain. And it's, not like a, it's not like a bank where you just, you know, retirar, you know money, you just... Um, not retire, withdraw, withdraw money as you need it, right? Like I just go to First National Bank of Jehovah Jireh and <laughs> press in my debit PIN card number and he'll give me $500 a day because that's my daily limit, right? Uh, it, doesn't, it, uh, it doesn't work that, that, and thank God it doesn't work like that because it's, that's a transaction. We don't need that. God is relational, and he says, come to me, right? Uh, but but here is here is some of the posture 
of uh, and the position that we should be in for um, for how God's provision works for us. Uh, it starts with a position of surrender and not negotiation. And the difference there is when you surrender to someone, hands up, I surrender. Like, I'm at your mercy. You know, if you're the cops and I'm surrendering to you, I'm at your mercy. Um, I don't have power to then negotiate. See, negotiation comes from a place of, of feigned power. I have something that you want or that you need, and I have some leverage to be able to negotiate, right? Like, I can, all right, God, I'll give you this, but you got to give me that. Or I'll surrender this to you, but not that, because this is what gives me life and value, right? But you can have this other stuff, right? Um, it, it's coming from a place not of negotiation, but a place of surrender. Abraham obeying to the surrender of Isaac, right? The first great lesson uh, of what God is teaching us is that obedience is complete when the inward surrender is complete. we got to come to God in a place of surrender. And that's not easy. And that's not a popular way of looking at life. We don't like talking about surrender. We don't like talking about obedience. We don't like it. Why? Because we're taught from the moment of we're born, especially in our culture, that independence is the way, self-sufficiency is the way. And God is saying it's through obedience and surrender. Can we give up the things that we value most to God to follow him, whether he gives those back to us or not? Can I lay down what is most precious to me and trust that God is good and know that God is taking care of me and taking care of that? Can I lay my life, my son, my everything on the altar of God and trust that Jehovah will provide and will take care of us? That's hard. That's really, really hard. But just as Jesus becomes the place and the sacrifice, Jesus is the place and also the will and the help that we need to be able to do that. And so if you need help in that space to be able to surrender, you know what the place to go to get that help is? The same mountain that is going to provide the provision because it's Jesus. It starts from a position of dependence on God and not a position of self-sufficiency. A quick example of that is um, this uh, semester, Marga is preparing for next semester, right? And uh, she's in a seven-year program, and her funding for her doctorate was guaranteed up to six years, and next year will be her seventh year. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the gift that keeps on giving, right, her uh, PhD program. And uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the longest tunnel we've ever seen, right? But there's light at the end, and it's not a train, you know? And... Um, so, uh, so this last semester, Marga, you know, sorry, I was trying to make a joke. I, she's, she's in the back like. And uh, last semester was really challenging for Marga because she's doing a PhD program and just had a baby. So, you know, if anyone who ever, ever says that, you know, I don't know, women are like just incredible. I, you know, like, let's just clap it up for, because for real, you guys, like, it's, it's crazy the, the amount of work that, like physically and emotionally and what the toll of like having babies is, right? And so Marga was really struggling with staying ahead on her uh, PhD program. And so she, uh, there were moments where she had to lay it down. And she said, Lord, I'm just, I'm surrendering this to you and I'm going to do the best that I can, but I'm also going to like give up like freaking out and like killing myself to, to do both of these things and I'm going to trust in you. 
And, uh, and, and she, she did her best, but she then laid it on the altar of the Lord. And so this week, uh, she, had, she, had, she applied to four different things, right? These are the four options, right? One was the ACLS Mellon, which would give her the most amount of money. And it was like a national uh, a fellowship, and it was really prestigious, right? Uh, the Ford, uh, which is like even more prestigious, but a little bit less money. That was her second option. Her third option was this library called the Schomburg, which has this program that uh, is, which is in Harlem, which is really, really prestigious also and really awesome, right? And the, fifth, uh, the fourth option was, hey, we're just going to have to live off of our savings for a year, and that's going to suck, right? But so we were really praying for the fourth option not to happen, right? And so, um, but these were all long shots. And Marty was like, I don't know, but whatever, right? And uh, so on Friday, she, uh, or last week, she gets on the news. She got the melon. Yeah. We're like, Jesus, like Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Oh, I provide. Yeah, he like provided. We're like, so, and we're like, see, we laid it down and the Lord provided, right? And then on uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday, this week, right, uh, of this week, she gets another email. She also got the Ford, right? And she can't take one or the other, but, you know, she's got to pick one, right? But now it's like this, we're just seeing the abundance of God providing, right? Uh, but it comes from a place of dependency and not self-sufficiency. It wasn't that Marika was like, I'm going to do this, and I don't care. It was, I surrender this, and I trust in you, God, that you are going to provide. And God provided in a miraculous way. And, uh, and I'm also very, very proud of Marika and that incredible amount of work that she put into this, right? Because it's not just like, all right, God's going to provide. I'm just going to stay home in my underwear and just, you know, watch Netflix all day, and God's going to show up with a paycheck, Right? It's, it, it's still in living in and doing our best, right? We've got to do the work of climbing the mountain, figuratively speaking, I guess. Right? But trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. And starting from a place of faith, not a place of perfection. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know it all. But it's a place of faith. It's saying, God, I trust in you, and I believe in you, and I know that you will provide for me. And lastly, it starts from a position of, uh, of provision and not scarcity. And what I mean by that is this understanding that in everything that I have, it's this life lived open-handed, that everything that I have and everything that I am is given to me by God, then I don't have to be stingy and hold on to things like these are what's going to sustain me. Because God is going to put it in my hands, and that gives me the freedom to then also be able to give away. Right? And that the provision that God has given to me is not just for me, but it is also for me to then provide for my family and provide for my uh, for those who are with me and provide for my church and provide for my community and provide for those around me. God has given to us so that we can then also provide for others. Because the blessing that was for Isaac and for Abraham wasn't just for them, but it was for all generations and all people. And that, like... Corinthians said that comfort that God gives to us, it's not just for you to feel warm and squishy inside, but it's to remind you that God has provided and comfort for you and that we can then comfort others with the comfort that he has given to us. It is us being able to uh, also uh, be a a, a place of um, provision for those around us. As Philippians, and with this I'll end, Uh, Philippians 2 uh, says, I have a bookmark here, and this is this. Do do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name. The mountain of provision for us is Jesus. And, and Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? What do you need today? What do you need today? Specifically you in your life. What do you need today? Do you need a job change? Do you need an attitude change? Do you need a reassurance that God is with you? Do you need help? Do you need family? Do you need God to provide a job or a situation? What do you need today? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 